Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is the 26th of April. The noise that you hear in the background is my baby who's crying, but it's okay. Yeah. He's being、I、attended to. I can't oh, you can't、him. hear it? I bet people will be able to hear it very faintly in the background.、But、is he crying、uh, a lot? No, no, he's fine. But he's fine now, too. He doesn't cry very much. He's very <laughs> yeah, stoic. He's、um, not on a plane, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We haven't ventured there yet. The voice you hear is is、uh, Jen Wilson. She's a repeating guest on the show. And、uh, Jen's a contributing essayist at the New York Times Book Review and a contributing writer for The Nation. She teaches at the Journalism School of the, at the City University of New York.、Um, yeah, welcome back. Thank you for having me. And I actually do not mind babies crying on planes. I was making a, a joke about <laughs> <laughs> the grown man cussing out the baby on a. I know. That was an amazing thing. <laughs>、yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love when the flight attendant is like,、uh, you know, there's that great exchange where he, for those who don't know, there's a video of a man getting very upset about a crying baby on a plane and he starts yelling at the flight attendants on it and on the plane. And he, they say, he says, They're like, please stop yelling. And he goes, the baby's yelling too. And the flight attendant goes, but you're a man, you know? And the man, and, which is a great, you know, it's a great、That's、comeback、amazing. by the flight attendants. But then the, the man says something great. He's like, did that motherfucker pay extra? Which was my favorite part of it, you know? <laughs>、um, yeah, it was a good video. I don't know. There was a lot of plain stuff going around, I guess.、Uh, you know, there、um, was that. Then there was like the whole flight attendant who found spilled rice on the floor of the plane and then decided to hold the plane up for an hour. Did you, did you hear about that one? No. This is like a flight from Atlanta to Houston or something. And someone dumped what looked、spilled、like a- Spilled rice? Yeah, it looked like it was like a half little tin of Panda Express that somebody had picked up at the, at the、oh, food、uh-huh. court or something. And that they had dropped it in the aisle, and there was a bunch of rice on the floor. And apparently, I don't know if I believe this story, but it was on the local news channel. So, you know, take it for what it was,、uh, <laughs> what you will. But then the flight attendant interrogated every person on the flight to see who、oh、had tr- tried and delayed the flight by an hour. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then it sort of split the entire internet up, up, of course. Like, you know, half the people were like, hey, clean up your own mess. Right. You know, and the other half were just like, come on. Like, that's, you have to be reasonable about some things, right? Like, delaying a flight an hour and interrogating everybody is unreasonable. But yeah, these, these flight things seem to inspire quite a bit of debate these days. I had this crazy experience last summer where、um, I was coming back from Greece. And this woman became like absolutely belligerent on the flight. Like, she started throwing those, you know, those like disposable,、um, like、uh, dental floss things, like not the like the dental floss kind of string, but the kind of like ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, the little p i c k y t h i n g s Yeah, 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 yeah. She started like throwing them at people. Um, she just became really like loud and belligerent, and like the captain came out and she scratched his face so,、um, oh my God. so hard it drew blood. What? And they like, yeah, so the, the cops were like meeting <laughs> us like when we landed, and they had her do like the, like, the perp walk down the, the aisle of the plane. And what was so crazy was so I like got back and I like told my partner about what happened. He was like, my God, that's insane. He, I think a few days later, had to go on a get on a flight, I forget where.、Um, 
But on his flight, someone also became belligerent and was arrested when the plane landed. What? Like back to back. I was like, what is going? I was like, this is this is like this can't be just like a coincidence. There must be this like epidemic of people just becoming like oh post pandemic, post lockdown, like um, just becoming completely just have like forgotten how to interact with other wow. people. Wow. It's not just the subway. It's- <laughs> is that happening on the subway? My theory is that it's some sort of sleep medication thing that people like take and then go crazy you know because some of the behavior is like down it's just kind of like sleep odd. yeah ambient, like they take yeah. ambient or something like, like that oh, before they, they get like, on the plane yeah and then they get on and then they like lose their mind or something like that but you know i don't think that all these people are people who are capable of doing the types of things that they do on planes that's my theory i have no basis for this at all except having watched every single you know airline <laughs> out of control video that's out there I think a lot of it is sort of that. And then a lot of it, I think, is people, I don't know, I think it is kind of what you alluded to, which was uh, that people have sort of lost the ability to have basic interactions, and then they see everything as a threat. And uh, then they sometimes respond very poorly, especially if they're stressed out by the travel. But I don't know, some of these incidents are just like, oh, this person like is out of their mind on something. And I don't know. Ambient. I've taken Ambien once, That's and funny, I like ambient theory. They like messed me up in a way that like was I'm never taking it again. So I, that's my theory. Huh. Yeah, but I remember there was that there was that like guy who killed his wife when he was on Ambien, and then like the original Ambien, and then they kind of changed the <laughs> like the kind of you know the makeup of it, and then it was like they had this new ad. It was like Ambien CR puts you to sleep and keeps you asleep. <laughs> Everybody oh was like, this, this subtext like keeps you asleep so you won't kill your wife. Yeah, oh yeah we've, we've taken out the wife-killing part of Ambien. <laughs> you know, our rates of people killing their wives on Ambien has gone in the test trial from 5% to 0%. Holy so cow. you're totally safe. Yeah, I don't know. I think that it's too powerful. I just like, I don't know, for some reason, it makes me very nervous. So I don't know. Today's like a crazy media news day where... Tucker Carlson was, I don't even know what to say. It seems like he was fired abruptly, right? And nobody quite knows why. And uh, then Don Lemon was also fired, (laughs) which was like the funniest news dump of all time. I swear to God, CNN's PR team was going to probably like announce this on Friday, you know? But then like they saw the Tucker News thing happen and they're like, there's never been a better place to bury this Don Lemon news. Than right but now. does anyone care? <laughs> well, yeah, they, I think they would have cared if it had its own day. So but funny. like happening, like what, an hour after the Tucker News, I guarantee that that sort of was their calculation. They were not both on a Monday morning going to announce this news. You know, <laughs> this, this is Friday news. Um, so I don't, do you, did they like, what do you think? Was this like, uh, you know, are you like, sh- I, I think everyone was a little surprised, but like, do you think the world has changed or the news landscape has changed or anything like that? <laughs> God, I don't like, I don't really watch cable news. So I really, I mean, I don't know what to, I mean, I don't, and I, I don't know, I guess, is this a react, is the Tucker firing a reaction? To, I mean, I'm sort of surprised that they would have any reaction to the to the lawsuit or is this do you think this is something totally separate i mean i always think of that whole that sort of moment that line in succession where shiv is like you know what you should know about us is like we don't get embarrassed um you know (laughs) but like talking about the like you know 
the ATN, the Fox News of Succession. Right. So I just sort of thought they were just going to act like totally normal, like not make it, yeah. like not pivot in any way whatsoever. So I don't know. Well, They've fired a lot of people over the past couple of weeks, you know, like uh, Janine Pirro. Oh, really? Was gone. Yeah, a lot of people have been let go in the past few months by them. And I think, uh, I don't know, it's interesting to, the Dominion lawsuit, I think, obviously looms over all of this, but the Tucker part was in that, like, he was by far their biggest star, you yeah. know? And so, uh, and he had become this figure that was by far, I think, the most discussed and talked about and most, at least eyeballs wise, like the by far the most famous news personality out there, right? Like, I mean, who would even compete with him, right? Like, he's like 10 times the size of Rachel Maddow. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I was really surprised by it too. But there must be something lurking that we don't know about. I was surprised, but I feel like it's it's like why Howard Schultz was stepped down early as CEO before he had to testify before the Senate. It's because like after Dominion, there's like a dozen more lawsuits that are coming after Fox around the voting stuff and around God right. knows what else. And I think like they also don't want Tucker to be on the payroll and be you know, put into depositions and having mm-hmm. to be on the witness stand if any of this stuff actually goes public. Like, at least he'll be a former employee. So I feel like that, like, part of it is just, like, a very cold legal calculation. Psychologically, I wonder if there's something going on with Murdoch and him now basically being at death's door and, like, whether he wants to <laughs> cement some sort of, like, slightly more, like, ethical legacy, at least, like, in his fucked up mind, like, whether that's kind of going through it. So I was thinking about him this morning when the news came out. Yeah, the timing of it was so weird that, like, even Tammy, I agree with you with all the legal explanation, but they also could have done that on a Friday. You it's know? true. It's like, true. He was but they're have... making a point, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is true. He was going to have, he had like a guest for tonight. You know, he was going to have it's that so Ramaswamy mm. guy on. And um, it's interesting, and... like, as a kind of psychological drama, you know? Right. Right. It's, uh, it's yeah. interesting. It is also very interesting that it all happens while Succession is having its final season. <laughs> I so, need like, to watch every, that show. I still haven't started. Everybody's brain has like two narratives going on in it. You know, <laughs> like the first is like the Fox News one and the other one is like the same Fox News thing, but you repopulate it with like all the people from Succession. <laughs> succession. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking right in my head like, oh, but you know, the thing is like, I don't know. I... I really, but Tucker is not even really Tucker, right? Like this is like a character he's playing. And I think that, you know, to some extent, right? Like he's sort of mm-hmm. like playing up these, these, um, this kind of personality that sort of the, the plays well right now. And I think on some level they know that they could just have someone else come in and just kind of, you know, adopt that. Like, you know, it's the same thing with like Trump and DeSantis. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like there is a script, right? Like there is, a, there is like kind of a playbook for um, getting kind of audiences kind of riled up in this particular way. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I don't know that, I don't know that Tucker is kind of, is unique or that he's the only yeah, person that can so do either. this. I mean, they when, know they have such Bill a bond Ra- with their viewers too, right? right? So they can just slot in whoever and they'll still tune in. To- when Bill O'Reilly left and Tucker took his spot, the general consensus was that, Tucker was never going to be as big as Bill O'Reilly and that Fox was in Mm. trouble because Bill O'Reilly was such a huge star. And how do you replace him with this like bow tie wearing dude, you know, who like has never been, who had all these failed shows before him. 
And you're right, Jen, like it ended up not mattering at all. Right. Like it's, it's interesting. There's this, I was reminded of my time at ESPN where like it really seemed like ESPN for a while, like turned out all these big stars, right? Like Dan Patrick or Keith Olbermann or um, these people who became kind of bigger than sports center itself. And you would watch sports center, the show, and you would be like, Oh, Keith and Dan are on, or Kenny Maine is on. And I'm going to watch because of this. And of course, when you do that, you command a larger salary because you're a commodity, you're branding yourself. And that there was this period of time when ESPN decided they didn't want to do that anymore, right? Like they didn't want to have to pay these anchors and that they could probably just go with a bunch of people that they weren't paying very much who could, they could swap in and out as interchangeable parts and that they actually wanted to decrease the number of personalities on their platform, Mm -hmm. except for a few exceptions, people who have like hit shows like Pardon the interruption, for example, like, right. They don't do that to Kornheiser and Wilbon because those, that's like a show with personalities that drives it. But they would do it to people who are on SportsCenter, which they feel like, well, who cares who's hosting SportsCenter, Oh, right? interesting. Okay. And their idea was like, everybody who leaves ESPN, it's a mistake because actually the commodity or the thing that people are watching is ESPN and your face is, yeah. the, is the one that happens to be on. But if you leave, like you don't get to, like you're not taking ESPN with you and you're going to find like a hard road. Now that was, the truth of that was varying, right? Um, Dan Patrick has a very successful radio show. Keith Olbermann obviously became a bigger star after leaving ESPN on MSNBC. Um, and, uh, but then there are people who like kind of left and they, you would think that they would have done well and they were never to be seen again. And like mm-hmm. Fox is the same way. I think Fox news is just like, well, is like, is anybody that you slot into their prime time spot who says the types of things that Tucker said, does it matter that it's actually Tucker or not? You know? And I don't, I imagine that it doesn't, right. It, it'll take a while and then it'll be fine. Right. Like this isn't like the John, this isn't like the daily show or something like that with John Stewart, you know, like it's not something that's so deeply built around one person's personality. Like the point is that like the person is actually saying the things that the audience wants to hear out loud because they think that too. Like, I don't think that that's Tucker dependent. Like, like you said, Jen, like I think he is playing that character, but the character is basically the it of the Fox news viewer. Right. And like that, that is not actually Tucker dependent. Like it's not about Tucker. So I don't know. I think they'll replace him pretty well. Candace Owens. I swear. It'll be so funny if it's her. I think she's actually They're going to like DEI it. It's so I good. I think she's actually too, I think she's too far afield, you know? Um, I, I think it might be like that Jesse Waters guy who I actually find more repulsive. Interesting. I, I stood next yeah. to him on the subway once and I just like. I was just like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I was impressed he was taking the subway, though. Um, <laughs> um, okay, um, Jen. The one thing that I didn't say to introduce you, which we said last time, is that you are the world's number one and perhaps only James Harden fan, right? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you at the start because uh, this has been a very big two weeks for James Harden, right? Oh my god! Or at least know, big week. Attracted for the first time. Right. So for our uh, for people who don't listen, watch James Harden for me. was uh, <laughs> ejected from a game for punching uh, another player what? on. The- no. <laughs> yes. Yes. This yes, is yes. very on theme with the airplanes. Okay. Yeah, it was the second. It was the second. I don't know ball contact of the game. Right. The first one was. Joel Embiid kicked up at uh, 
you know, Nick Claxton's crotch area and very intentionally <laughs> was not kicked out of the game. And then later in the game, in a really, what I will say is like a very strange turn of events. James Harden is driving and kind of flails his arms out and catches the defender in the groin area. all the time, which everyone does all the time. Yeah, he goes down and then James Harden is ejected. I don't know. How, how did you feel about this? Did you feel like he was unfairly slandered? Did you feel like this Absolutely. was a just outcome? I, thought, I felt like it was, you know, justice delayed. Like, I think that we all knew <laughs> that Embiid should have been ejected. I mean, that was like really, um, really obvious and also like really dangerous. Like, you know, Claxton almost like fell over pretty badly. I mean, it was really like, I don't know. Um, you know, and then, and then like, you know, he wasn't ejected and then like Harden gets ejected for, I mean, I don't know if I didn't even think that was a foul. Um, and I, I just, I mean, okay, maybe it was a foul. Maybe it was flagrant one, but flagrant two. I mean, I just thought that was, I think everyone thought that was ridiculous. Like, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say this, Jay. Like, yeah, I no, I actually thought it was ridiculous too. Yeah. I, I, I actually agree with you that he caught, he was, uh, it, it is strange where it was like, generally in basketball, they say like the, they always catch you retaliating and the retaliator gets worse than the instigator, which is true. But with Harden, it really was strange. It felt like like uh, the rest were like a district attorney or something like that. And they're like, oh, no, we got too much heat for going lenient the first time. And now we have to throw <laughs> the book at this person. And then they just toss it at James Harden. And the weirdest part, it was like it was in the same game. And so you could like completely contrast the the difference in the severity. I agree with you. Like, Embiid like basically like kicks tries to kick uh Claxton as hard as he can right between the legs which is like totally intentional now I do think Harden sometimes like does things where like you know you know where you're throwing your arm and stuff like that but at the same time it's a lot different right like it's not like you're winding up or anything like that and yeah it was strange did you feel like he was being persecuted because he was James Harden like, did Always. you feel like if Always. it was like, <laughs> like if it had been Tyrese Maxey or another member of the Sixers who had done that, they wouldn't have been thrown out? I mean, or Chris Paul. I mean, like that is Chris Paul's standard move. He's like famous for I think there's actually on YouTube. I was so angry about this. Like I like, you know, started like looking up like, you know, videos of other players, like grabbing <laughs> one another's groins. Um, <laughs> and there's like a whole like compilation on YouTube, just like Chris Paul's like top 10, like nut grabbing um videos that's like how that's like how he defends he basically just sort of like kicks people in the groin until they like are immobilized um and sometimes he's caught and sometimes he's not but I was also I was actually like so I because Harden used to play for the Nets um I'm also I have some sort of like residual affection for Nick Claxton his former teammate and I also was really upset that he was ejected for um I think a taunting like just for yeah. like he dunked on Embiid and then he just kind of like you know made this like you know um, gesture like yeah look at that and they kicked him out for like taunting or like excessive <laughs> celebration I could not this kid is like Nick Claxton is like this really sweet 24 year old he's been through hell he played on the team with Kyrie uh with Durant they with Harden they abandoned him Kyrie like sort of self-appointed himself um 
uh, Claxton's mentor. He was like, I'm taking him under my wing. I was like, I smoke that I like, I've been in that position before where like a lunatic, like just sort of decides they're going to like take you under their wing. Um, and I just totally felt for this kid. I was like, after everything he's been through, like let him have a moment. And they just, Oh my God. I was so, that was, I mean, there's been crazy, officiating uh in the playoffs so far it's like it's really like so many ejections it's really it's kind of like i hope i don't know it's kind of detracting a bit oh yeah i I do think the refereeing first of all the players need to stop hitting each other in the nuts in the nba why is that so common i don't i don't really understand so here (laughs) a very brief history of it is that like the first real big nut punch that i can remember was chris paul (laughs) And it was in college when he was playing at Wake Forest and he punched Julius Hodge. And it was like a big, big, big deal, especially for people who grew up where I grew up, like ACC country, where, you know, that those types of matchups are were, you know, basically like watching the NFL for a lot of long period of time. And Chris Paul punching Julius Hodge was like, I still talk about it with my friends from high school, you know, or, or college, which is like, Hey, remember when Chris Paul, every time Chris <laughs> Paul's on TV, the first thing I think is like, that's the dude who punched Julius Hodge in the balls. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but since then it just happens all the time, you know, like it just never stops happening. Like Draymond Green has kicked so many players in the balls over the years, you know? And now this, like, there's wow. this punching thing where the players kind of like shove off and they, put their forearm in and they're like, I don't really understand how it became so common where it's now done all the time, but like, it is strange. It's like one of these things, maybe it's toxic masculinity or something like this to say this, but (laughs) I'll just say like, like that rule where you like, just don't do that. Like it's like a pretty good rule, you know? And for some reason, NBA players have completely forgotten it and are just on this nut punching and kicking spree. And it, it, I don't know. I think it plays very very homoerotic. Well, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it is just like it won't stop. And I just feel like it should be an injection every single time. And so I do think under but it needs to be clear intent. I don't think James Harden was really clear intent, but Joel and was really clear intent. Also, kicking is worse. You know, you can generate way more force through kicking than you can through punching. So I don't know. The whole thing is like. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the right. intent thing is really interesting because I think I was like, re- I forget where I was reading it, but they were sort of saying that like sometimes like the refs don't want to say that it's intentional because of a certain kind of like, um, kind of like you know internalized homophobia. Like, yeah. what does it mean to say that these guys are intentionally grabbing one another? Like, I don't know. That was so like strange. someone's. That was someone's theory on on Twitter. Why? It's why, like, I don't know, like, why some it's hard to sort of like call these people out all the time for intentional, or why why they don't get called out more for intentional um, nut grabs. That's a great theory. I love it. They're like, (laughs) we have found the inefficiency in the refs, you know, mental makeup on what type of violent acts they'll actually throw us out of, (laughs) and because (laughs) because of homophobia, they won't throw us out because of not punching. (laughs) That's a great take. Yeah, I don't quite know where how it became so common, but I don't know. I don't like it personally. Guys, please stop punching each other in the balls. It's like very unpleasant to watch and it makes the public think less of you. And it'd be better to just fight or something like that, don't you think? Like this like whole thing where you just 
kick somebody between the legs like it's uh like you're 12 it's just not a very good look so (laughs) are you on a justice for justice for james harden uh do you feel like he's gonna you know like do you feel like he's gonna get better because of this he's gonna take the time and then rip through the Celtics in the second round or something like that, because, you know, he's been, he's been wronged. No, um, (laughs) I don't don't think anyone in Philly, I think we're all just like, I mean, everyone I know is a little checked out, honestly, from the playoffs, because I think especially um, with this news about Embiid, like uh, being injured or being like, I think Doc said he's going to only be about 50%, which I take to mean 25%. In reality for the I mean even if he weren't injured I think I just don't there I don't see us beating the Celtics with um no one I know thinks that we're going to beat the Celtics um with yeah I don't either so I mean yeah it's just kind of like yeah and so now I'm like sort of shopping for my second tier team (laughs) who am I I rooting for now Sacramento Kings are available although Fox fractured his finger apparently and he's not gonna he might not play tomorrow so these playoffs have been very disappointing in a lot of ways the golden state sacramento series has been great yeah now it's like got all this injury on it um and so i don't know it's uh but i have been watching way too much of it in a way that i you know at some point every night around like 9 30 pacific i just think why am i watching this game (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I just watched to the end. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But we did not bring you on just to talk about James Harden. Um, Although I did, have, his, uh, I did try his wine. I wanted to Oh, was it good? Him. Oh, wait, no. Okay, now yeah, I have so to, we have to go back. Your, so right, wait, what is his your... wine? Yeah, I need to know about this. <laughs> it has a terrible name. It's just called J. Harden Wines. I just He know. owns a vineyard? I don't know about all that. Uh, what does it mean? I don't know. Does a celebrity have to own a vineyard to have their own? No, no, no. no you have to. But like, I'm just curious, like how like you hire someone to like do a blend and source yeah. grapes, and then make a one. I think that's how they do it. I think for Francis sure. Ford Coppola, Usually. for example, owns a bunch of vineyards, right? But I think that you can make wines by sourcing different things and mixing them together and creating a wine. I think Boys to Men has their own vineyard because I was going to say that. So another Philly celebrity. Yeah, I was going to say Philly wine. legends. Uh, yeah. So theirs was Harmony Wines. And oh my god, it, that's think, amazing. Yeah, uh, I think it's like uh, Pour the Wine, Light the Fire. Is <gasps> there? <laughs> is there a tagline? Um, I was going to say that I do think Harden's wine is better than Boys to Men's wine, um, but that's kind of like. The only comparison I'm willing to make. Um. <laughs> That's a really. really it's called Jay Harden. Jay Harden. I agree with you. That's a bad name. You yeah. should call it like Step Back or something fun like that. Oh, that would have more... been so good. That right. Been so good. What's the, M. Night the... M. Night Shyamalan did the commercial for it, though. Oh, oh, that's right. Another that's Philly, right. yeah. If you go to Sixers games, like I've gone to Sixers games, I think a couple times I've seen M. Night Shyamalan there. He's like our. He's our Spike Lee. Getting <laughs> courtside. Yeah, the I don't know. I, James, yeah, Boys of Men, I think, is a little bit underappreciated overall in terms of music history. You know, I was thinking about that when they, didn't they like sing at the Super Bowl or something like that? And they sounded great. I'm sure they'll always sound great. Like, why would they not sound great, right? Like, they'll probably sound great for 20 more years. Um, I would drink but, their wine. 
Yeah. Full nostalgia. I think the harmony name makes sense for them, though. Yeah. Right? That that name actually makes sense. (laughs) All right. So we brought you on to talk about wellness writing, right? And we have a big example of it that was just in Harper's with Lauren Euler's long essay about going on the Goop cruise, right? And it turns out that, I don't know, I, I, we, we thought about this topic and I hadn't read the essay yet, but it turns out that the essay isn't really so much about wellness, right? Like the essay is almost like a meta meditation on cruise writing, right? Which has this long history, not a long history, but has a somewhat populated history starting with David Foster Wallace and maybe there's cruise writing before that but you know like she's sort of doing a David Foster Wallace self con like self aware in a way but it's still kind of about wellness writing yeah. so i don't know what 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 do you two think about this about this essay i was going to say i think cruise writing is also kind of like wellness writing in a way like you know when you think about um you know, like the kind of activities on a cruise, like they're kind of like known for this like group exercise, group activities. Um, like they are supposed to be this like weirdly kind of like healthy, active kind of like form of like vacationing. Like you're, I don't know, like you're kind of like doing these like excursions and things like that, even though like at the same time, you're really just sort of stationary. Um <laughs> But I don't know. It's always sort of struck me as kind of like, I don't know if you've ever gone on a cruise, but I was always sort of um, struck by just, yeah, like how much of them sort of like kind of like revolve around these kind of group activities, like sort of, you know, that you're supposed to be sort of active, even though you're stationary on this boat. It's, it's, I don't know. it's, it's, It's like, and then like, I think in the original Dave Foster Wallace, you know, article, he talks about like the age, like the, like, you know, this tends to be for older Mm-hmm. Um, older travelers who are, you know, this is kind of like um, for them a sort of kind of rejuvenating kind of vacation. Um, so I don't know. Like I, th- I think there is kind of a connection between like wellness writing and cruise writing. Right, right, right. And and it's it's not like she doesn't write about wellness uh, and goop and the idea of it. I was just struck by how like there was no. I actually appreciated about the piece how there was no break where she was like. And here's what I'm going to tell you about what I think about Goop, you know, and there's like six uninterrupted paragraphs of exposition about like the feel almost perfunctory in a way. I'm, I actually sort of appreciated that she didn't do that. Tammy, what did you think about that essay? Yeah, um, I didn't like it that much, but I was interested, <laughs> Jen, in why, <laughs> why you wanted us to read it. And I think like I, I am interested in, you know, I think this larger question that you've raised in your essays as well about like, what is it in our culture that makes people obsessed with wellness? I think to me, it also connects with like different friends obsessions with like astrology and things like that. Like to me, they're all kind of of a piece. And, you know, I think there's like very sort of straightforward Jacobin style takes on like, you know, how that connects to our contemporary capitalism and stuff. But I was curious about your particular connection and interest to wellness and wellness writing the language of wellness. Yeah. Um, well, did I suggest this? I, <laughs> I sort of thought, um, I thought I gave you a few different options and I thought this was the most, um, the most interesting. I mean, I think for the same reason that Jay said, like I was sort of yeah. um, really sort of like pleasantly surprised by the piece. Like it wasn't exactly sort of what I thought it was going to be. Like you hear like Lauren Euler is going to go on the Goop Cruise and you just sort of expect it to be kind of like top to bottom, like, you know, um, you know, I would have enjoyed that too, but like really sort of like mm-hmm. kind of like top to bottom sort of, you know, picking out all the 
kind of ways in which this kind of, you know, wellness culture and goop in particular are ridiculous. Um, and I was sort of, yeah. you know, I really sort of like that she sort of said, look, we all know that. Let's just kind of, that's yeah, a given yeah. here. Right. Um, let's sort of talk instead about kind of why, um, like, what are kind of the narratives that kind of underpin wellness writing that people feel they have to participate in? And I was really interested in what she said about vulnerability mm-hmm. um, and the way that kind of wellness and particularly the way the ways that wellness has become so profitable, it's sort of connected in some way to the to the fact that vulnerability has become um, like really kind of a, a commodity also, mm-hmm. particularly for in women's writing. I was so going to say that of, feminine vulnerability, like she talks about crying and like. The sort of tropes around tears and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was even thinking about this video that went viral over the weekend. Of uh, it was like this influencer um, at a baseball game, and you know, she oh was sort of God, saying I'm that there so were these, yeah, there were these women in the back, sort of making fun of her, and she said, in, I think she she said in particular, "Look at my self confidence." evaporate as these girls make fun of me and Hmm. like people just sort of went for blood and just started like doxing these women and it just was and I just kept thinking like it has something to do with the fact that she talked about suddenly feeling bad about herself and her self-esteem being attacked that somehow like her vulnerability got more people kind of motivated than the vulnerability of these kind of other women who were in the background sort of being filmed without their permission because they sort of didn't engage that like they didn't present their annoyance in terms of vulnerability they presented it in terms of you know like anger and annoyance and um but somehow like no one was really concerned for them in the same way so I was kind of interested in sort of what she's saying about um when kind of vulnerability can get kind of activated by women on the internet um or women trying to sort of you know, sell themselves as a product. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. It just kind of, um, I thought that was, yeah, it was just kind of an unexpected way to sort of approach the assignment. And I appreciated it. Tammy, do you know the video that Jen is talking about? No, guys, I like, I'm really offline now. Oh yeah. Ever since I quit Twitter, I see nothing. I know nothing. There's a, how do you start? There's a woman who is, First of all, she's not recording this herself because her hands are free. So she is, either has somebody filming her or she's set up some sort of thing. She's at a Houston Astros game. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of filming herself uh, doing poses. And there's these two... I, they're very young. Like They look like they're about 20, 21 years old. Two women behind her who are kind of giving her the finger and making fun of her for doing all this influencer-type stuff. Anyway, what happened was that the inner she yeah she put in the caption feel my self confidence evaporate, and then everyone got really mad. It went super viral on TikTok. Everyone on TikTok doxed these two girls, and uh, contacted their employer. Left negative responses on employer. It's just weird, you know. It's like a very strange thing, and it was really like, uh, it was the type of online action that I thought didn't really happen anymore. But then it just keeps happening, you know, and it's like there is this TikTok sort of subset where they find people who do racist things Mm 
right? Like, so if you like are screaming racial slurs at because you're drunk at a restaurant and you're a terrible human being, there are these like kind of like investigators who are on TikTok where they'll be like, hello. And they're like very smug and, you know, like whatever. And like, you can say, you can decide whether what they're doing is for good or bad, but they'll like find the person, you know, and they'll say, uh, they'll show the video at the beginning and then uh, two seconds later, their face will pop up and then we like, hello. And then they'll show all the social media profiles and they'll talk. So, so the doxing is like Damn. part of it, but it's usually for racists, you know, and it was interesting to see how this had sort of transferred over to like these two girls who were just like annoyed because this woman in front of them kept filming them. Um, mm-hmm. And then it became this whole thing on the internet. Yeah. But um, I had not connected it to the idea of vulnerability, but I think you're right, right? It's like a migration it really was of because the she, like, she looked very sad. And because mm-hmm. she said self-confidence or whatever the word, right? There was like enough buzzwords in there where people felt like what was happening was abuse when it was mm-hmm. like literally not, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. There's actually a part in the in the um, essay that I thought was interesting where she talks. So Gwyneth Paltrow appears in the piece, you know, sort of this like, I don't know, she's like a spectral presence over the piece. But then there's a part where she shows up and um, Lauren, I think, does like a really interesting analysis of like how Gwyneth says like she doesn't have anxiety, but sometimes she gets really stressed out. And and I thought that part actually was really kind of fun and and gets to some of this about like you know, when you are somebody who has like so much money and power, like how, how vulnerable, like actually should you be? And like, like you have to be vulnerable, just vulnerable enough to basically make this like marketable, (laughs) but you can't be like too off the ledge, you know? So um, yeah, I guess I was thinking of like, that definitely made me think about all of our sort of like public presentations and, you know, cause we're all participating to that in some degree. Yeah, like you can't be so vulnerable that it can't be fixed easily yeah. with a product. Exactly. Right? It's gotta be <laughs> right. It has to be goopable. Yeah. Yeah. Contained amount of vulnerability. Um, do you do either of you use any of these types of products? Like do you do you buy into any of this wellness stuff? Or have you had phases in your life where you did? Well, I mean, you know, it's so interesting before, like, before this, I went on the Goop website to sort of like, I was just like, was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like what is, what is like a wellness product? What is a Goop product? And, you know, a lot of the stuff that gets like, you know, that sort of gets these headlines are these like sort of like ridiculous, these like sort of stunt products, like the, this candle smells like my vagina kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But most of the stuff on there that I, and like, you know, some of it was like, some of it was like, you know, this like. $2,000 um like rug that you lay down on and it's like filled with these like energizing gems or something um but like 95% of the stuff that I saw on there just was like you know skin creams and you know like vitamins and stuff like that and like I don't know like the electrolyte powder and things like that so like I don't know it just like makes you wonder like what is like when do we when do we sort of decide that like kind of wellness is happening <laughs> um versus just kind of like really kind of like everyday like little luxuries right that we that we pamper ourselves with like when does it start to feel like it's you're participating in something um like bigger than just a product itself like when does it start to feel like a you're buying into something um i was kind of interested that she 
talks so much about astrology in this piece because I didn't really consider astrology part of that. Astrology to me is this thing. I don't know if you've all noticed this, but have you felt like in the last two years, people (laughs) who never used to talk about this suddenly have their chart like on their phone? Like yes. There's just been an explosion yes, of this. Exactly. I'm telling you, it's like a thing. I don't know. It used to be just like my West Coast friends, and now it's like everywhere. I don't really know anything about is it because it's like a thing that people can talk about on social media or share on social media? Is that why people are doing it? Or is there like some sort of sincere engagement with it? I can't tell because I don't I'm not interested in astrology. I don't actually <laughs> know anyone who's into astrology. So, but then I see it all the time. I, I agree with the people that I'm somewhat surprised would be into it, but I, I don't know what the source of it is. There was a, like in 2019, the book critic Christine Smallwood wrote an essay about how millennials were all like, there was like a millennial turn to astrology and how it reflected like, stuff about the Trump era and just like economic conditions and stuff. I don't know. I mean, I I know we say that about everything and that's like the Marxist materialist condition explanation for any kind of random trend. But um, I do, I do think that more people were coming to it during the Trump era. Really? Like anecdotally in my life. Okay. I also feel like there's that one astrologer. I think her name's, I don't know how you say her name, Chani or Chani. Nicholas Nichols or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. She's kind of like, she sort of branded herself as kind of like a social justice astrologer. Um, mm-hmm. And she like has very kind of like funny, funny kind of like copy on her, her site or her app. I mean, I feel like she is someone who's people become like kind of big in the past couple yeah, years. And like and Alice Sparkly Cat, you know, like there's I've heard like, of this. I've heard yeah, of these this. like yeah. like queer socialist astrologer. <laughs> I don't like the justification I always hear, or like kind of like you know the kind of explanation I hear from people is that this, and I kind of buy that. You know, this makes sense to me on some level. Is that this is kind of a benign way to talk about personality differences, right? Um, instead of sort of accusing your friend of flaking all the time, you'll just say like, "Oh, well, you know, he's uh, a cancer, so he's a homebody." <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, that actually like, makes okay. sense to me. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. I, I yeah. get that. Like my friends who work in consulting, con- like they have to do these personality tests, like the um, what is it called? Big five. The, the Myers Briggs. Yeah. Yeah. And they said the same, and one of them said the same thing to me. He said, this is a really just a helpful way when you're on a team and one of your team members is uh, being like really type A, like you just say, it's okay, you're a J, which <laughs> I think there's like, there's like F is like for feeling a and J. J is for judgment. Um, yeah. And so he's like, this is this way where no one takes anything personal. But when you, I mean, just to sort of bring it back to the, so the piece, like I do think that's like, it's you know, people not wanting to feel kind of vulnerable. I feel like on some, on some level, it's just kind of a way of like protecting people from, you know, um, from what, from assessments that might be hurtful from, you know, from other people. So it's also kind of a way it's, it's this weird kind of way in which like, yeah, like a lot of this, wellness stuff kind of traffics in the language of vulnerability but in many ways it's also about trying to protect yourself from kind of real vulnerability like on some level you're like 
I'm going to take all these vitamins and lay on, lay on this $2,000 rug and <laughs> I'm going to be so strong, right. That I won't be able to get a cold. Right. So it's like, I don't know. It's, um, it, it's, it's this really weird interplay of like having to admit that, you know, like that woman on the, um, in the piece who she has the, she's the one who, um, go to Paltrow interviews, um, for the mm-hmm. live conversation. Right. And she has, she knows she has to, sort of start out telling these horror stories, right? Like she has to be really vulnerable. So, you know, she says like, I wasn't able, she wasn't able to have a bowel movement for, a, you know, I'm sh- sure she's exaggerating <laughs> a year or two, <laughs> um, right? You know, she's like, I wasn't getting my period. Like, you know, she has to, this is kind of what I think Lauren is getting at, this kind of like vulnerability kind of like yeah. a piece of kind of wellness writing. It always sort of, it's always like this like hero's journey from like constipation to like you know your vitamin d levels being normal right I think that's that, exactly like, yeah it's generally that exact awesome. track too yeah that's uh, yeah that's, that's basically it yeah i i actually also i like lauren as a writer quite a bit and i think it's uh you know at least i mostly stylistically i just think oh at least this is somebody who's trying to do something you know each piece feels distinct like I thought the piece she wrote about Sabald was great because it starts with her doing a Sabald imitation which I thought was really funny for various reasons mostly because I think for a while especially when Teju Cole's book came out like everybody just was trying to do a Sabald impersonation right and they thought, like <laughs> including Teju right in that book which is very self-conscious and done intentionally but um you know that is sort of that was, I think, in a way, like sort of crystallized what Sable's effect has been is that he spawned a lot of imitators, and and I thought it was very clever to start mm-hmm. with the Sable imitation, and this I felt sort of the same way where I was very glad that she didn't reduce it down to the very obvious takes that everybody has written yeah. about this stuff, which is Tammy, what you said as like sort of the Jacobin idea, right? Like this is about like uh, upper middle class wealth inequality, and that uh, it is about like. A, way to try and control material conditions through luxury etc whatever you would say like i find that to be so boring i'm just very bored by that type of analysis like it's correct days. but we all yeah, know it's it, correct sort of, yeah fine know. it's like upper middle class women yeah. who are trying to have some sort of control over what is uncontrollable but then exerting it through like a idea of luxury that is inaccessible to other people that's fine you know but i was i really did appreciate that it sort of went beyond that it reminded like and, and especially for something like this where I felt I feel this way sometimes too. I felt this way whenever I got assigned like a big reporting piece about Asian people, or I'd just be like, "I'm going to write half this piece about how annoyed I am about <laughs> about having been assigned." That you're and having then, to do the piece, yeah, <laughs> and then also like basically go through the litany of things that I would write if I wasn't me, you know, um, and what you're expecting to write. And I find <laughs> right. that after a while to be annoying, but I actually enjoyed it in this. In my own right, but I enjoyed it in this iteration. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I I generally find this stuff to be very harmless, you know, like wellness stuff and whatever. And I don't know. I I have a hard time getting mad at it, right? Like, uh, like remember there was that whole thing about moon juice in LA, right? Like that was another wellness thing, and it was like really expensive juices, and it was all sort of fraudulent in a way. And like the person promised all this sort of stuff, and you know there was this whole group of people from i don't know who lived in like los Feliz and silver lake or whatever who swore by it i guess i always just like don't see the harm in any of that you know like outside of it being like kind of fraudulent i bet the people do feel better 
Like when I have yeah, like a really I mean, expensive I... juice, like I feel healthier and I'm being tricked, but like, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, it's fine. It's like, I've drank this 12 times. I used to live in LA and it's like, that's, it's totally what you're saying. Like, it's like, yeah, you, like I used to go to this place, press juice every now and again, and you'd buy like this $10 oh, yeah. juice. And I, but to me, it was just like fun and funny. It was like part of like, participating in the culture and like the thing is like you do feel better like you know like you're having all these like salads with you know super greens and you're out in the sunshine and like you're going for hikes in the canyon and posting photos on Instagram it's like you do you feel better um but yeah I really appreciate it. one of the things I thought that was so interesting about the piece was instead of like just totally focusing on these super expensive goop products. She talks about cruises and the cruise industry. And I think points out that actually cruises are, I mean, they're not cheap or anything, but they're actually um, a lot cheaper than people realize. And they are actually this way of making, like, if you've been on a, like I've been on a cruise with my, um, with my mom and you know, like they shove so many people on these boats. Like there are all these, you can get these huge discounts depending on like when you go. And, but then when you're on the cruise, you basically like, you kind of cosplay as like aristocrats. Like you kind of like everyone kind of pretends like they're on the Titanic and like you, there's like this like (laughs) sort of like fancy dinners, you know, fancy Mm -hmm. dinner, like, you know, dining hall at night. And, um, you know, and so I think she's sort of pointing out that like you uh, you don't have to like, it's not just sort of the uber rich who are participating in um, kind of, you know, s- systems that are like really toxic for, you know, the earth. And like when she talks about the um, climate, the climate change and just like the impact of the, the cruise industry. And um, yeah. so I appreciated that too, that like, you know, because um, I think a lot of people, that's another, when I was thinking about wellness writing, I wasn't just, I know she talks a lot about kind of like, kind of personal essay stuff, but I'm even thinking of like pieces that just kind of like mock the wellness industry. I just feel like it's yeah, yeah. so easy to right. you know read about these products and just sort of mock, you know, these like uber rich people. But, you know, like I appreciated that this piece also talked about how um, all of us can be really complicit um, in kind of like these kind of like aspirational kind of purchases um, that are, you know, ultimately like really like harmful for the people um, mm-hmm. who make them or who live where they're made. Do you have any products like that, Tammy, in your life where you're taking it and you're not entirely sure why? <laughs> and then you 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 swear by the effects of it? I like, think as anything? I've been getting older like i do you cream. do like the korean facials like stuff <laughs> yeah like i definitely have spent money on like eye cream and like wrinkle cream and like obviously none of it works you know but <laughs> i definitely put it on like all the time <laughs> like when i was in when i lived in la there's a huge consortium of people that were that swore by like you know it was like i, I think it, it still exists right but they bought korean facial products and they swore by it and their argument for it was like basically that you know, they had all these almost borderline mystical, slightly <laughs> racist reasons for it. Well, yeah, they, I mean, Korea like sells it that way. Like, right, it right. is like, no, like K beauty and all, you know, it's right. like magic. It, and, it wasn't um, really that different, I think, right? Yeah. And then I, my thought was always just like, well, I don't know. Like, does it really matter if it works or not? You know, like, does it, as long as it 
produces the feeling that the people want. Like, I don't know. I, I have a very hard time getting mad about any of this stuff. Like I, I get like when it's a huge scam, like our, um, our office when I worked in LA was below Herbalife. Like it, it was our floor say, yeah. and Herbalife was above us and we didn't have enough bathrooms. This might be too TMI, but like we didn't have enough bathrooms on our floor. The bathrooms were always full. And so we would go up to the, sometimes have to go up to Herbalife to, go up to use their bathrooms quietly. But um, like, that's like, that's like a harmful scam, right? Like, I, and maybe there's no difference, but um, I don't know. I, I've always had a hard time getting really mad about this type of, like people, if people have crystals around and they feel like the crystals yeah. improve the way they feel about things, then like, you know, like who cares, right? Like it doesn't, like maybe somebody is getting super rich off of it, but um I don't know. It doesn't, I don't really understand the difference between someone feeling better and more confident and then actually somehow like on a molecular level, earning that type of feeling and that being like so much better. But maybe, maybe I'm like, well, I feel, I think so. I think the first time I heard about wellness wasn't in this kind of like beauty, like lifestyle stuff, but rather as the alternative to health insurance in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all these like wellness accounts and wellness programs and they sort of sell them as like, preventative health care and you can go to these like clinics but they're not you know it's not really insurance and um i'm like struggling with insurance right now and i feel like um there is like this conceptual and like li- like linguistic slippage also between like this kind of wellness the herbal life like pyramid scheme stuff and then like the amazon workers who like have to go to like a wellness center and like, you know, who have like recourse to wellness programs as opposed to actual healthcare. So to me, like in my mind, they're kind of like all connected and are on some sort of spectrum. And I think like that is why I feel like I have this like real allergy to this sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, it was funny like- too in the essay, like when she was talking about like the, like before she introduced the name David Foster Wallace and that Cruz essay, like when she was talking about like canonical Cruz writing, I was thinking of like late, this like genre of like labor exploitation writing about cruise ships. There have also <laughs> been this like, that's the other cruise genre of writing, which is like an investigative labor reporter like goes in and meets like the Filipino workers. Below oh that. yeah. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So that is something that this essay doesn't get into, but gestures towards in the same way that you were saying, Jen, with like the environmental issues. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think what you're, you know, um, what you're saying, Tammy, about um, particularly like companies having these wellness centers or like these mm-hmm. wellness initiatives, like, yeah. Um, you know, come down for, you know, like a 20 minute exercise, like, you know, totally. <laughs> and like one of my friends was like, you know, they're just trying to like, you know, um, like kind of like make sure like people aren't as like sick because they know they don't have kind of like good health care, good, you know, health <laughs> insurance. And so it's just yeah. like, it's sort of this idea of like trying to make people like, it's not like we want you to be healthier because we care about you. It's because we sort of think it'll help your productivity and you'll have fewer like, <laughs> sick days or whatever, which I don't even know if like that's true. But, um, but you know, I mean, okay, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but I don't uh, use a wellness product, but you could sort of say that I am someone who kind of doles one out in the sense that I, um, I read tarot cards um, oh, for for this is something I learned in LA when I lived in. <laughs> Obviously, um, yeah. I, my roommate in LA a long time ago was a, a psychic, um, and 
um, she read tarot cards and I don't know. I think like, I just sort of thought it was like fun and like, Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was people clearly just loved talking about themselves (laughs) and like sort of have it like someone giving them permission to just be like fully fixated on themselves and like their (laughs) love lives. And, um, I just thought, I don't know. I just sort of like her friends would come over and she'd give them readings and it just sort of just seemed like more fun than whatever watching something on TV. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I asked her to, to teach me and she taught me and, um, I do give, I, you know, give tarot card readings to friends. I've been doing it for quite a long time. Um, and I don't charge, but I could totally, I have come to sort of really think that people, like, I could see how this could really be abused. Like, some people get really into it. They get really emotional. I've had people I barely know tell me confidential things, like things that are like, like, they're wow. in the middle of lawsuits, and they're telling me like stuff like this, like, because they're so because again, yeah, like they come to you, they're feeling lost. Um, they're just looking for someone to tell them kind of like what to do, like literally anyone, like literally just me, like at a party. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they'll get really kind of caught up in these things. And like you could uh, like I used I um, when I was teaching English in Moscow, I had this student and she saw the tarot cards um, on my uh, like on my uh, like desk somewhere. And she was like, oh, I know. Um instead of like having a, you know, to practice my English, you know, instead of our lessons, why don't you give me a tarot card reading in English? So I give her a tarot card reading in English. And then she's like, no, for, no, I need to know what's happening. So just do it in Russian. Um, so she started like coming over really just for these tarot card readings. And um, she like, you know, and every week it was like this, she would be like crying. And every week it was like the same question. Like, should she <laughs> leave her husband for her American lover? Oh my gosh. Did you give her advice? What do you say when they ask you stuff? That is like so that? nuts. Um, and like, and it was just so insane. It was like her husband, Sasha, was like paying for these English lessons that had devolved. Um, (laughs) And then, um, like, I just was like, I I mean, I just told her what I thought, which was uh, that Sasha was like really hot. And um, (laughs) so he did get his money's worth. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, like, we're just like, you know, I stopped meeting with her, but she told me about this (laughs) other woman who she, who she, like, a real psychic who she went to. She was paying like, $500 a a tarot card reading like you know to say ask another person right should she leave Sasha for Bulb and like you just sort of you can see like how this can get so exploitative Um, and like you you can start to like understand like where the anger kind of comes from because you know if you start to think about people like that at like a on a macro level it's like how many people are just kind of you know um giving money to someone, you know, to, because, you know, they're unhappy, um, because they really need to be, you know, being a therapist, but maybe that's stigmatized, right. And, you know, where they are. So I can't believe I did all of this. I feel like there's this underlying (laughs) assumption under, I mean, 
I do think Sasha got his, his money story. <laughs> yeah. Were you working with him secretly? Or were you like, okay, I'm going to play some I know, exactly. here. And this is gonna... like a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then she's going to ask about it. I'm going to give her tarot card reads and then I'll tell her. Um, I uh, It suggests that there's this alternative out there that is empirical and good and the real thing that people should do. And I think that when it comes to healthcare, that's really fraught, right? Like uh, Barbara Ehrenreich wrote her, I think it was the last book she wrote about sort of wellness and getting old and this idea. And one of the things she wrote about was just that once you're older, you just get suggested endless healthcare, Mm -hmm. right? Like endless interventions for things that don't necessarily like that you shouldn't really need an intervention for right and that this can derail your life and is obviously extremely expensive and has all sorts of side effects and like ruins your quality of life in a way too and like i think that the argument would be like okay but that's real and like you know like taking a juice or something like that is Mm -hmm. not real i agree with that that's true but i think that people have profound skepticism about that side too you know um and that uh just sort of blindly taking doctor's advice, whatever. A lot of people do do that, right? But then a lot of people don't. And I think that their skepticism sometimes warranted. I mean, I feel that way. You know, like I went to, like my shoulder's messed up and I'm just doing physical therapy for it. But I went to orthopedic surgeon and, you know, he was immediately like, oh yeah, of course we're going to have to do surgery, you know? And I was just like, no, we are not. Because he's a surgeon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, I'm not getting surgery for this shoulder. Like, you know, like why? So I can like, after six months of being in pain, I can add like three miles an hour to my first serve in 10. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not getting surgery on this, you know? And, um, and I think that there is a lot of skepticism about stuff like that. Like there's so many medical interventions that seem like in the end counterproductive, like, uh, you know, like thyroid cancer, which I had thyroid cancer. So this is the only reason why I know this, but like, you know, it was overdiagnosed for, years and years and years including of when i was diagnosed you know where like people would they would do a lot of unnecessary full thyroid thyroidectomies where they just cut it out you have to take a replacement hormone for the rest of your life and they found that they basically were doing a lot of these in an unnecessary fashion right and now they're much much more conservative about what they'll prescribe but like you know you read stuff like that you get angry you know because you're just like well now i have to take this pill for the rest of my life and also like you scared the shit out of me and uh most likely i was gonna die before this thing killed me right and so like what what are we doing here and i think people in general have stories like that in their lives anecdotally or they know people who have had stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then they turn to something else and like I'm not saying that the thing that they turn to and if it's this sort of wellness type of stuff is correct, but like, I at least understand where they're coming from. Right. Cause it means, cause the alternative to it, this sort of hard science, hard medicine alternative is like pretty bad too. You know, like, do you want to be on like a prescription medication that's going to, you know, really mess you up and the doctor who's prescribing it is incentivized to prescribe it for you. Like, like that's bad too. You know, like, I don't know, like I kind of get it. Like, do people really want to be in an Oxycontin because small pain or something like that? Like, you know, they, they, I think people do make these types of calculations in good faith. Yeah. I think that was, um, the Taffy Brodus or Ackner profile of Gwyneth Paltrow that, um, Lauren alludes to, you know, Taffy has written about this many times and it also made its way into the, um, into Fleischman is in trouble, uh, this kind of traumatic 
you know, uh, experience she had giving birth. Um, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a moment of medical malpractice and just, you know, experiencing real kind of um, trauma from that and distrust. And so I think she sort of uses that story to sort of to kind of talk about wellness and the fact that this is, you know, if we're going to be really angry at Gwyneth Paltrow, we need to really stop and for a second and ask ourselves, well, why are people going to goop in the first right. place? Right. Is it because they feel, and they do feel, you know, um, misled and sort of underserved by the people who are supposed to know what they're doing? I mean, we can make fun of Gwyneth for, you know, pushing, you know, these sort of ridiculous treatments. But look, we all know that Gwyneth Paltrow is not a doctor. Like, uh, you know, uh, like... <laughs> yeah, she didn't um, even you know. play one, right? I can't <laughs> think of a single movie where she was a doctor. Yeah. No, no. Um, <laughs> um, and then, you know, so... And like, that was one... I, mean, I You know, I know that Lauren talks about sort of like wanting to avoid this kind of vulnerability in wellness writing, but I do feel like there are pieces, and I would say Taffy's is one of them, where it's like, people use vulnerability to try to understand why other people are um, sort of buying into these kinds of, into all of this pseudoscience. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's kind yeah. of interesting. I think, you know, and then Lauren, I think, you know, tries to do, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting that she does sort of position herself sort of like, yeah. So a lot of wellness writing will be a writer, um, sort of talking about sort of something they're going on that's going on in their lives like right mm -hmm. like sort of, sort of position themselves like I'm going into this story I too am wounded you know um, and I think you know she sort of does that kind of right. playfully with this whole thing about um, the thruple that the she's boyfriend. in yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the two boyfriends but it's sort of I guess it's sort of complicated right because they're because there's sort of two of them and so in one case in, in terms of like boyfriend one, yeah, she's feeling wounded. But in terms of boyfriend two, she's got all the kind of power. So I guess it sort of is also an attempt to kind of complicate that. But I don't know. I get I get why other writers have chosen to sort of be more vulnerable in, in how they approach writing about this. Because it's like, yeah, like you, I'm sure that woman was constipated for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not a year because she probably would have died but yeah maybe not a year but you know yeah it's like how does this sort of also it just seems like there's a lot of diagnoses and that have to do with women specifically yeah. that are difficult for doctors and that there's a lot of skepticism around this right like you know i don't know everything from like lyme disease to whatever and that um I don't know. Like it's, I always found that I, I first started thinking about this when people were like sort of dismissive about Chinese medicine or Eastern medicine. Right. And that um, it was interesting to me because their general response was like, well, you should take things that work. Right. And then it just seemed to be like, okay, so what are you talking about? You're talking about like the pharma industry, you know, um, like none of these things are, a lot of these drugs are like not really that effective. Right. Or they're not, proven to be all that effective or the data around them being effective is sometimes like kind of like suspect. And um, I don't know. I've much more of like a, Hey, I don't know if it works for you, then why not just do it? Like people should kind of stay out of your business. Well, I've also like Chinese <laughs> medicine and acupuncture are real medicine. And those <laughs> should be totally distinguished from all of this goop yeah. shit. 
Is acupuncture real though? Like, does that does it actually work? Like, I have no yeah, idea. And it's, it I mean, like... I feel like like starting like 10, 15 years ago, it even started being covered by Western insurance and stuff. Not that that's like the arbiter of whether something is totally legit, but I just mean like it it has like it also has been proven in like Western scientific ways or whatever. Um, thank you for listening to the show, Jen. Thank you for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug or anything? No. no. Okay. Um, not, not, I wish I did. I not, wish I not, did. J- not James Harden. Watch out for James Harden against the Celtics in the next round. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Harden. Yeah, I'd like to plug Jay Harden wines. I will say, if James Harden figures out a way to like keep the series competitive and they win, I feel like it would undo all of his like negative playoff stuff right like he has an opportunity in the second round actually which is unusual because usually you have to like win the finals or something like that like he can ex- he can like expunge a lot of demons here i think you know like, he can he just needs to have like a heroic type of series but you know i hope for your sake that it's in him <laughs> i don't you know? i don't think that's gonna you know i don't know i don't think it's gonna happen i don't think we need that from james right now i think you know i don't know in philly you know a big part of our identity is losing like being loser um you know uh uh, like you know rocky lost uh, <laughs> you know, the first one um so you know i think um i think we'll be we'll be fine um okay well if you'd like to we'll, contact we'll, we'll, we'll still be hard and lovers <laughs> you at least <laughs> if you'd like to contact the show it's a uh, time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or at ttsg pod uh if you'd like to contribute it's five dollars a month at patreon.com slash ttsg pod or goodbye.substack.com Jen thank you and until next week uh, yeah we'll see you I don't have a sign off for the show and I always think I (laughs) I, like rev up like I do but I don't you know I can when he's cue the music yeah when he's like hosting CBS this morning he's like and I'll see you in the tomorrow or something like that and they're like that's terrible (laughs) I need something like that after 175 episodes Mm -hmm. okay goodbye one day